Oh, man, it's great to be here on a Wednesday. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, glad you're making us a part of your day. we got so much to get to uh, here on the show. We'll hear from Carlos Perez, former Florida wide receiver. We'll also chat with Gerald Anderson from Waycross, former University of Georgia defensive tackle, two-time SEC champion. We'll hear from him. And Max Starks, former All-SEC offensive tackle for Florida and in the National Football League. So a lot of football to get to. College football news out there with the Sun Belt uh, as well, BJ and Ben. But look at Ben's head. Look at my head. 1-0. Braves over the Astros. uh, Winning at 6-2 last night. I told you guys before the show, said Jorge Soler is going to make it happen right out the gate. Boom! Home run. Braves go on to win at 6-2 last night. Uh, BJ, I said, look, you got to be confident in what this team does. And I think last night you saw it. They pitched effectively. They played defense. Even when they had a defensive mistake, they rebounded and made a play to get themselves out of the inning. And offensively, everybody hit. And when I say everybody hit, everybody in the lineup had a hit last night. Full team effort by the Braves, and they're up one nothing in the World Series. We talked yesterday, hey, you want to win one in Houston? You've done that. Now a chance to go win two. Absolutely magical. I mean, that was, that was a movie. Um, it's been a generation since you've been in the World Series. Very few people thought you could get here. And then you're, you're playing a, a recent power, three of the five, uh, last five World Series. The Astros have been there. You're on the road. And the first at bat, not only out, but way out. I mean, just a, just a rocket shot. And uh, MLB.com Sarah Langs uh, reported Solaire's homer is the first time the World Series has ever been opened with a home run. So literal history. I mean, history right there. It was amazing. I'm sure there were uh, you know fans all over the country just stunned, captivated by that. Uh, around my house, my son... And Kevin, I'm sure your kids are going correct. Ben, I mean, my son looks up and goes, now they know who they're dealing with. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, the Astros. <laughs> so he was talking trash. He's walking around. He, he made a poster and said, now they know who they're dealing with. So just right away, uh, that was that was indescribable, Ben. I mean, Kevin, that was, that was how you draw it up. And I think we said yesterday, we all agreed, Atlanta had the momentum entering the series. Now you're up one nothing, And unfortunately – you know, an injury to Charlie Morton, which we'll get to. But uh, Max Freed on the mound tonight, you made a statement in game one. You're in a really good spot, and that was absolutely magical last night. <sighs> it's one thing that we have that I get that I get motivation through, and that is our, that is our uh, text thread. I mean, Jorge, listen, listen. I mean, at, at the end of the day, you know, uh, you know Solaire, he, go, he goes yard, and Kevin goes, hey, what I say? What did I say? <laughs> Solaire, then, then – this is how I know it was going good, uh, you know, BJ. I got – they playing with confidence. It's – what I love the most about last night is, obviously, we get to talk to Braves, you know, every day. We obviously are, you know, big-time fans and admirers of the Braves. But sometimes I like it when you can't separate the professional side from the fan side. We get to be professional for three hours a day, every day talking about them Braves. But you living and dying with every pitch. You living and dying with every plate appearance. Soler comes up there and Kevin goes, man, Soler. I, I don't know why I get this from BJ, but I say this, man, one time in your life. Like, like, like he got to do anything to say, one time in your life. So, and wham! And this, it's almost like Kevin go, like, BJ, what mean you listen to uh, Soler doing like, uh, like bat and prayer? Like, what is, like, what is that? That is, that would be the bat, you know, to make a contact with the ball. It's, and, and with the Braves being up 1 0, it puts the pressure back on the team that every, that, 
quote, America thinks has a, you know, even though they're playing America's team, for those of you who don't know, no, we're not talking about the Cowboys. We're talking about them Braves and Kevin, what does it do for what what does it do for the psyche of a team when everybody got in on the act? Yes, I know you got that sour taste in your mouth. Uh, you know, uh, which you know, one of your starting pitchers going out. But now, BJ, now we're gonna hopefully we're gonna see one, how good of a team are the Braves? Can they handle success? Because once again, haven't seen it since '99. And when you haven't been in the World Series in a long time, what type of obviously somebody you know have to check some of these birth certificates. Some of these guys were not too many years out the womb, probably in '99. When you think about now, but I'm just very, very impressed with the poise of the Braves. Everything did not go perfect in Game One, but for the Braves, we said when the Braves are playing with a lead, when that lineup is mashing, they they can go out there and play with the best of them. And you know, you know, uh, Altuve, what three strikeouts yesterday, Kevin? I mean, so it's not like everybody got into the act. The bullpen, obviously, the lineup, but Solaire, man, starting everything. I mean, I mean. Eddie Rosario showed off that cannon. Who you, you think you're finna get a, a double? No, you out at second. So I think I think that I think the theatrics, you know, uh, BJ and Kevin was on display. I think everything you want as far as drama. But when Kevin Thomas is leading the thread with Solaire and they're playing with confidence, <laughs> hey man, you got to feel good about it. Now, BJ, once again, can you update your resume again? Because okay, game one, you know, I got that out the way. Do you do you have an encore performance in you? Which I do think these Braves do. Next up, Mr. Max Freed. You were up, sir. Yeah, confidence. Uh, I said that yesterday. Braves fans uh, get me sometimes with the, well, I don't know. I'm just uh, like, look, this team is good. They're playing with confidence. Be confident with them. I, I, again, you, you look at the, the talking points around the fan base versus what, look at what you hear coming out of the clubhouse. Hey, we're playing really well. Jock Peterson, hey, we just might be the, you know what, to go out and win this thing. We had nobody's beaten us yet. We are a good team. We play for each other. We've got a lot of skill in this clubhouse. Get behind that, because again, on display last night is what we talked about: power, hitting, double-digit hits. Everybody in the lineup had a hit last night. Home runs, pitching. I mean, Charlie Morton unfortunately had to come out of the game uh, due to injury, but he was pitching well. He gets relieved by AJ Minter, who comes in and just. Once again, massive uh, performance by A.J. Minter to get you through. Then you go, oh, here comes Luke Jackson. Luke Jackson was unhittable last night almost uh, during his performance. Looked pretty good. Then you get Tyler Matzik. Tyler Matzik, oh, he finally gave up. Well, good Lord, look at what he's done all postseason. He's up five runs, just get outs. That's what the Braves did. And then Will Smith comes in and gets the job done. And, again, you feel like the way they played – at no point last night, at no point did did I feel like the Astros were going to win that game. They were never in a position to win that game. You came out right out of the gate, boom, two nothing, come on, come on up to bat uh, Astros, and then you were able to get out of that first inning, which looked a little shaky. Understandable, game one of the World Series, you get bases loaded, but you get out of it giving up nothing. And I think that sequence right there. Two runs in the top of the first, bases loaded, Astros get nothing. They weren't going to get it done last night. Uh, and I feel like the Braves shut the door on them time and time again, and they were never in a position to come back and and, and take the lead on Atlanta. Need to do some more of that tonight. Jump out early, give Max Fried that confidence, and see what happens. But uh, you, you've done your job. Win one in Houston. If you win two, that's big time. 
Kevin, I think you're spot on. Uh, not once last night. And this is in a World Series game that I feel like Houston was the better team. Did I feel like Houston was even going to make a run? I mean, Atlanta kept the Astros at arm's length for that entire game. It started right away. And just to uh, echo some of your sentiments there, uh, look, Mentor was spectacular. And for a relief pitcher, especially one who had uh, been demoted down to AAA not long ago, for a relief pitcher to come in in a gotta-have-it situation. I mean, Charlie Morton going down in the third inning could have been catastrophic. That could have been a very bad uh, set of circumstances. Mentor came out and gave you a career-high 43 pitches, gave you two and two-third uh, uh, innings, and that's from a reliever who throughout his career has been either a, a you know a, a setup guy or a closer during many stretches. So he absolutely gave the team what they had to have. It was a it was a gritty performance, and he deserves to be lauded today. I also think you know the little things, of course, the home runs uh, right away was Solaire, Adam Duvall getting a hold of one. But it was the little things, like you said, Kev. You work out of a jam with Charlie Morton early. Ozzie Albies gets the stolen base, uh, so we all get a taco. And and Austin Riley comes up and 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 knocks him in. Uh, you're talking about the defensive play from Eddie Rosario. I mean, the defensive plays from Ozzie Albies. Ozzie Albies beating out infield singles. I mean, this team did it all last night. And I don't expect this to be a perfect World Series. Every series, every contest has ebbs and flows. But Ben, from my seat, that was about as good of an effort, a game, a performance as you can have on that stage. Just imagine if you're Houston media today. They, they, they're talking about what we're talking about. They have to talk about how good the Braves were. And I think what happens is during the course of a season, you don't get, you're going to look at a team that you either root for or is in your market. Most people heard about the Braves the last four years. They heard about this guy, Ronald Acuna Jr., different things, right? You get on this stage, and look, we're talking about 12 hits. Like, that just happens. That don't happen. 12 hits might not happen in a regular season game, let alone in a World Series game. We're talking about, all, we're talking about the fact that Charlie Morton broke his leg. And they still won the game. So you had you had everything. I mean, Kevin, I mean, you you had, I mean, when it happened to Charlie, I mean, the thing about it is when Charlie Morton broke his leg, I was like, oh, obviously, you know, just watching it, you could tell. But then look at how many pitches. Look at how long he stayed in after. I'm telling you, the, the culture of this team, the camaraderie of this team can't be spoken about enough. These guys really love each other. That, listen, that throw to second by Rosario, I mean, most guys don't even attempt it. He's like, what you, trying to get, trying to get greedy. And you get thrown out a second. Dan Swanson, people forget he messed up a, a you know a potential double play because when everybody when everybody is in on the ad Kevin and BJ that makes that makes everybody play better. Team is not about what you do well. It's when I don't do well, can you pick me up? They picked each other up last night. And Solaire, look, I, man, I would look, I would love to have a you know a home run back to back home runs, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, in uh, two games. But but BJ and Kevin, the one thing that I took away from this game is. Man, these guys believe in each other. They, it's, see, after the first game, you go out there and win. Now ain't no more, okay, we happy to be here. No, man, we deserve to be here. No, earn a chance to be here. So, And the thing about it is, is you know who we're not talking about? You know who, who Freddie Freebie, listen, Freddie Freebie putting on a clinic at first base. For those of you who have, you want to see how to play first base, whatever Freddie Free got to do, if he got this, that all that six four six five frame to get, he, he's one of the best doing it. But I was happy for the entire squad because, once again, for one game, the Braves showing about as good as – now, they haven't played their best game, but that's about as good as they could play what they showed last night. Uh, absolutely. And, again, uh, they move into uh, game number two uh, coming up tonight. 
Max Freed on the mound. We'll get to that more in depth when we come back. It's three and out here on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. You can also catch us streaming live on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Braves in Astros game two coming up seven o'clock. We'll have pregame coverage. First pitch just after eight o'clock again here this evening. Max Freed going to go tonight for the Braves. Ian Anderson, it's announced, going to go Friday for the Braves. We got a quick question uh, here on the show uh, from uh, Adam Fisher. Uh, ben and BJ, how do you think we will do moving forward in the series without our ace being Charlie Morton? And that remains to be seen what happens uh, here. Do you go Kyle Wright? Do you go Drew Smiley? Uh, Tucker Davidson was just activated to the World Series roster to take Charlie Morton's spot. He made a couple of starts before having some arm trouble uh, back in July. He has since rehabbed and pitched some at Gwinnett uh, before they ended their season. So what do the Braves do there without Charlie Morton? Yeah, there are questions as to what you can do after after Anderson goes. My guess would be you see one of those flex guys you mentioned, Kevin, Drew Smiley this postseason, and I kind of forgot about him, you know, before the NLCS, is a guy that can come in certainly in long relief if you need that, but he could start a game. And that doesn't mean he's going six innings. That may mean he goes three innings. And I think the same thing applies uh, to Tucker Davidson and Kyle Wright. So I think you have some flexibility or length with some of your quote-unquote relief pitchers uh, here. And I don't know if you'll see a bullpen game in the traditional sense where, uh, you know, mentor starts the first inning, maybe gives you an inning or two. Because keep in mind, even though you have an off day coming up, he just threw 43 pitches the most of his career. Uh, I don't I don't think the circumstances are right for you to do something where you go like mentor, Chavez, Martin, and you try to bridge it to Luke Jackson, Matt Sig. I, I think you're going to see one of those quote-unquote starters settle in and maybe it's not the first inning maybe Kevin Ben they they do use a Chavez or a mentor to quote start and then you see Davidson or Wright probably Smiley would be my guess because he's a veteran come in and go you know from the second or third to the fourth or fifth hopefully but you will have to kind of be a little non-traditional I mean you're you're limited you you entered this thing with with three essentially starting pitchers in the postseason context of the word and uh, that already leaves you with an iffy day somewhere in the middle of the series. And now with with uh, with uh, the injury to Morton, you're going to have to do something that's kind of a hybrid. I don't think there's any question about that. I mean, uh, I'm pretty sure something like this happened throughout the course of the season. I understand that when you talk about the World Series, Kevin and BJ, uh, these are, you know, uh, these are, you know, I mean, inopportune, uh, you know, type situations that you find yourself in. But, I mean, you have the guys. Now, we, now this is the thing. You got to – you got to – you. The way when you use the word ace, how many innings? Because I, 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 because how many innings are, are you trying to say? Look, man, give us, give us three, maybe four good innings. And once again, Kevin, it, it goes back to that. I understand that now the bullpen has become one of your strengths. Now, whoever's starting, I mean, if you know, if it is, if it is, you know, uh, you know, Chavez, or if it is Drew Smiley, these guys understand. Like I think, I think too often at times uh, we don't give guys enough credit for understanding and being ready for the situation. I look. Nobody could have. Nobody could have saw what happened last night. More than happening, but I think that's why you have a hundred and something games throughout the course of the season. So, hey man, let's try some stuff out. Like, what if we find ourselves in this situation and we got to, you know we got to kind of like do like a, a hybrid situation? BJ, as you mentioned, give these guys credit. I know we was talking about Ian Anderson and potentially having to. You know, Kevin, we were saying something. BJ, would you play him on Sunday with four days? 
It's the freaking world. Yes. Like, once again, haven't been 100% since I came out the wound. I need you to step up game two or game three, game four. So, yes, BJ, it's not supposed to be easy. It's only two teams left. One team needs three more games to win it. And what I use the Dodgers mentality. If you if you pitch for the Dodgers, you are going to play in the postseason. They will bring they will run everybody out of that bullpen they have to. So for me, BJ, yes, for Drew Smiley, those guys, you know, uh, for Kyle Wright, it's this is their moment. To me, it's like, hey, look, man, um, I know you was thinking you was gonna have maybe a lesser role. We need you to step up, maybe game three. And dare I say, if a Kyle Wright or a Drew Smiley or a Chavez runs out in game three, who's not gonna have their back in that entire uh, entire dugout and Look, man, you talking about heroes. Eddie Rosario is the hero right now, right? Chavez, you know those guys, or Smiley, comes out game three and they win it because they kept us in the game. That's only adding to the to the legend already. Uh, you know, uh, Kevin and BJ already started, you know, because of game one. Yeah, I think that's the the situation where you look at it and say, okay, losing Morton hurts. How much more was he going to pitch in this series? Are you were you going to bring him back on in game four? Were you going to bring him back in game five? If he pitches in game five. He's probably not pitching again, unless it's Game Seven. It's like, hey, I need one out or two or you know two three batters. I guess is what you have to do now. So I, I look at it and say, you really need to find somebody to, to step up. How much do you believe in Max Fried? How does I think a lot of what you do maybe on Saturday depends on what happens tonight. If the Braves come out and they're up six one and you don't need Max Fried to throw a hundred pitches, maybe he can come back on short rest. On Sunday, it gets you a, a game five start and say, "Look, we're going to go for it right now." If you're again, if you're up three zero or two one, maybe that changes the thinking a little bit. I think if you're up three zero, you probably feel a bit more comfortable saying, "Hey, Drew Smiley, Jesse Chavez, uh, go out there and 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 give it a go." And we've got offense that can back you up. We we've got guys that'll give you some run support. So they don't feel like you got to go out there and look like John Smoltz, Tom Glavin, or uh, you know Greg Maddox out there and give us a two hitter. Just go out there and pitch and and give us a couple of innings and we'll move on. And I think that's what you're looking for. I think if it's Smiley, if it's Kyle Wright, Tucker Davidson, you're looking at these guys going, look, we may only need you to give us an inning, but it's got to be a good inning. It's got to be a great inning. So I think you're getting to that point in the season, like Ben talked about, especially when you're coming up with pitchers. Hey, we're all tired. It's been 162-plus now games to get you to this point. It's all out. Give me everything you got for three outs. Tyler Matzik, give me everything you got for three outs. And and that's it. If you have to pitch Max Fried on short rest in a game five, Max, give me everything you got for three innings. And and that's all we can ask of you. Uh, and you got all offseason to rest up. I think that's where you're at with the Braves. But to me, you feel good with the next two days. I think if Max Fried goes deep, Six, seven innings. Who knows if that's the way they want to play it. Postseason's weird. Uh, maybe you can more afford a bullpen game. They'll be more rested. If Ian Anderson gives you a five, six, seven inning start on Friday, maybe you can afford to do some of those things. Well, I think a lot of what you do in game four and five is going to depend on how Max Fried and Ian Anderson pitch tonight and on Friday. No, I agree. I don't I don't think right now there is a quantifiable plan for Saturday or Sunday. And the reason is because of what you just explained. Let's say, and of course, I don't want to talk this into existence, but let's say Max Free goes out and can only get through two or three, and you're having to look to the bullpen to carry you for five, six-plus innings. Well, that wear and tear adds up, 
And then I think if you talk about a bullpen game on Saturday, in addition to the possibility of maybe Freed not being sharp tonight or Ian Anderson not being sharp on, on Friday, if you have to use the bullpen pretty extensively either of those two days, especially with what you've already done, keep in mind the bullpen carried you for, what, six-plus innings yesterday. I think you're going to be really hard-pressed to say, on Sunday, we're essentially going to have a third bullpen game in five days. I think that's a really hard ask, and I understand you're sprinting to the finish line. I get that, you know, if, you're, if, if your arm has nothing left, you know, after the series, well, you have the whole offseason. I get and understand that. And, look, this makes me nervous. The idea of Max Freed pitching on short rest, I think the scenario you're talking about, Kevin, is uh, let's say Freed goes tonight and has kind of a regular sort of non-outlier-type performance – then you have the day off. Then you have Ian Anderson go on Friday. Then you do the, quote, bullpen game on Saturday where maybe that means three innings plus from Drew Smiley or, or Kyle Wright. Then you look to Max Freed and say, dude, you're the best pitcher on our team right now. You went on Wednesday. We need one more. We need one more on, on, on Sunday. And that would be uh, traditionally a shorter rest period than you would normally get but not to a dramatic extent. It's not like you're talking about two days. So I think that may be the most likely scenario. But I do think, as you explained, you're looking at a fluid set of circumstances. Best case scenario, nothing eventful happens on the pitching mound, you know, where you have somebody go out early or you have, I mean, even as weird as this sounds, Kevin, I mean, do you kind of not want Max Freed to go eight tonight? I mean, would you settle for kind of a six-inning game tonight uh, out of yeah, Max? Yeah, potentially, potentially uh, to, to save up. For that short rest game, if you get there, and again, we don't know what the series will look like uh, at that point. That could be a potential elimination game either way, depending on what the, if the Astros bounce back. Sunday could be an elimination game to end the season one way or another. You, you never know. So I uh, have to see how that series plays out. I think I'll, I'll throw it to you before we have to step aside. And we'll hear from Carlos Perez in just a minute. But who we, we've asked this before. Who do you trust? So when it comes to the bullpen game, Kyle Wright, Drew Smiley, Jesse Chavez. I mean, Tucker Davidson got a call up uh, to replace Charlie Morton. Who do you trust in that situation? I mean, I, I know this. I know this is gonna sound crazy. I mean, I mean, Kevin. I mean, I got. I gotta go with Luke Jackson. I'm. A, I'm. A, I'm. A, I'm. A, I'm gonna tell you why. The whole thing about it is. We get, we get stuck on what he didn't do, right? We get stuck on what he didn't do. I believe everybody has a moment in him. I really, really think that everybody has a moment. I Kevin, I go back to what you just said. Is I mean, give me three innings the best you got. I think Luke Jackson is saying, look, man, nobody – and this is just an a, a athlete's mentality. I don't want to be the reason why people look and say, if we wouldn't have had Luke. No, I want to be say we had Luke. Luke helped us do – and because Charlie Martin is out, BJ, somebody's going to have to step up, not name Ian Anderson, not name – you know what, Max? It's going to have to be somebody we didn't expect. I think Luke Jackson got one in him. I'm not saying he's going to complete have a you know pitch a complete game, no. But I do think he has a moment in him, three innings in him. That's we're going to look back on and say, Kevin, you'll say, what was the turning point, man? Luke Jackson goes out there, pitches lights out, you know, you know, goes through that lineup, and then we was able to win the game. So give me Luke Jackson because I guarantee you he is still thinking about when he didn't have a good outing. Yeah, if you need if you need two or three, maybe early, you know, not in a traditional bullpen setting. I think Jesse Chavez. I, you know, I think he's there's a consistency to Chavez. He's a little older, has been around the game. I think he's maybe in his mid to late thirties. See, this year's and Josh Tomlin. Yeah, I mean, yeah, doesn't walk a lot of people. Uh, I think you want to make 
the opponent swing the bat, put it in play. I think you could look to Chavez and say, hey, man, we brought you in to provide some leadership. We need we need two and a third. We need two and two thirds. And I think being a being a veteran, being a guy who doesn't walk a lot of people, I think he could come through in the clutch for you. Again, you will have to go to one of those bullpen games, it looks like, most likely on Saturday. We've got more to come here on 3 and Out. We're talking Georgia and Florida. We come back, Carlos Perez, former wide receiver there at uh, Florida. 106 career receptions there for the Gators. He'll join us when we return here on 3 and Out. Welcome back to 3 and Out. I am Ben Troop. That is Kevin Thomas, BJ Bennett. My next guest needs no introduction, but I'm going to introduce him the right way over 100 and over 100 career receptions, 12 catches in 2002. You know him as Carlos Perez. I know him as Sugar Booker Lowe's the great Carlos Perez. What's up, Lowe's? What's going on? Now, Lowe's, man, I mean, I know this uh, Florida-Georgia game brings back a lot of memories for you and myself, man. I mean, take us back to 2002. Taylor Jacobs goes out, and then we had to go to that goal screen. They couldn't, they couldn't, uh, they couldn't cover that goal screen, Lowe's. Yeah, man, 2002, a big, big game. Because coming into the game, I think Georgia was undefeated. I believe they were, I think, number four or number two in the nation. Not sure, but I know they were definitely uh, uh, looking to beat us and uh, secure their spot in the SEC championship and on to a national championship. But, you know, you know, uh, you know, we came in there. Uh, in the beginning, Taylor goes down. Uh, you know, I looked at my boy Kite, looked at you, and said, you know, we got to step up, and step up we did. And again, Carlos, you talk about that moment. Your, your number one goes down, and you say, hey, we got to step up. But then it did come to you. You had 12 catches uh, in that uh, in that football game. Just speak to uh, kind of the zone you were in, knowing that, hey, somebody's got to be the go-to guy, and it ended up being you. Yeah, man, because uh, it became bigger. You know, it became bigger than, uh, than me. You know, I, I felt like, you know, it was about, you know, Florida, it was about tradition. It was about respect. And, you know, uh, there was definitely an animosity against Georgia. So, you know, I took it very personal. Um, I couldn't wait on anybody else to uh, make plays. I felt like if it was coming to me, uh, I needed to make a play and I needed to uh, help my team win. And, Carlos, you mentioned that Georgia was unbeaten and was a favorite in that game. Do you see similarities between the 0-2 game and maybe Saturday where Georgia's a favorite and a lot of people around the country think they're a considerable favorite in this game? Yeah, a lot of similarities. Why? Because, you know, we opened up the season early, um, and I think we uh, we lost to Miami on a, on a, on a good game. Um, and then we uh, suffered a, another loss uh, – that we should not lost against Ole Miss. Uh, so we, you know, at, at Florida, there was a lot of uh, talk around town you know, about 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 coaching, about the players, about you know. So, uh, but we knew we had talent because we were in every game, and we knew we could. We always felt like we were better than Georgia. So, um, you know, coming in there, we believed in ourselves, and we knew that you know we had the opportunity to beat them. So there's a lot of similarities. I think this year's Florida team. Uh, has a lot of talent. This year's Florida team is a really good team. Uh, you know, they're just, uh, you know, a play here and a play there away from, you know, having a really, really good season. Um, hopefully they can put everything together and, uh, you know, beat Georgia and knock them off their, their horse. Georgia game was very, very uh, personal to you, very, very important to you. You being a guy, man, you know, uh, coming from Dirty Jerry's, coming all the way down, coming all the way down to Gainesville, man, what is it like a, 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 playing wide receiver in this game, going up against some of them really, really good Georgia DBs? Man, it, this game really was totally different than every other game. Why? 
because you know coming from New Jersey, you don't really know the magnitude till the till you're there. So you know coming in as a freshman and um, not necessarily uh, playing a lot. You know I had a uh, you know players like Nishay Caldwell, Taylor Jacobs, and um, Jabbar Gaffney in front of me. So I felt like I had to wait my turn. So freshman year, you know, just out there playing a lot of special teams. The sophomore year, got an opportunity to start in this game, um, making some plays. Um, you know, and then you know, junior year. Now you're you're the, you're actually the guy. Um, you know, to be able to you know to play. So the game is split in two. Uh, you know, these 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 fan bases are extremely wild, uh, and uh, it's just it's just a different level, a different level uh, than than many other games. Uh, one because of just how the stadium is set up. Um, and when you, you come out, you feel the energy, you feel the booze, the cheers. You don't even know what it is uh, because it's so mixed. Um, and, uh, you know, it, that game is so fast. It really felt like a very competitive game. Uh, you know, uh, you know the DBs were, uh, you know, at high level. It was a lot of uh, physical, physicality, uh, a lot of great players. And, uh, you know, you, you either had to step up or get stepped on. <laughs> Carlos Perez, now you mentioned coming down from Jersey when – when your teammates try to tell you about the game, you're like, "Man, what's the big deal? It's just like, it, like it's an SEC game. I get it. Like, what, what, what was it from what your teammates were telling you? What you thought it was going to be versus what it was when you actually got out there? Oh man, it's a huge difference. I mean, all I knew coming from Jersey, you know, the closest uh, football game here was Rutgers. Uh, you know, and they didn't really had a rivalry. And then, uh, you know, uh, you got Penn State there, and but but when you get there and your teammates in Florida. Cause you, one of the things about it is that when you're coming from an outsider, there's already a rivalry there, you know. Knowing that, uh, you know, Ben Troop and, and Kelvin Kite, they played in like a Florida-Georgia game in high school, uh, you know, Florida versus Georgia against other guys uh, that were already on the team. So you knew that there was this rivalry, and they're telling you about it, but you have no clue. And, you know, they're telling you, no, when, you know, you get there, you got to get ready and this and that. But then when you actually walk in there and you actually have to play in this, you actually see how big – of a giant uh, this game really is, and, and also the behind-the-scenes being, like, the world's largest, you know, out there uh, cocktail party and, and everything that has to do with it. And when game day is there, every single game, uh, you know, it's a big deal. Carlos, uh, you look at this game, and there are some questions at quarterback for both teams. Florida's played two quarterbacks, Emory Jones, Anthony Richardson. As a receiver, how do you prepare for a game where two quarterbacks might play, and and, and does that impact kind of your performance when you're out there on the field? Um, so, I mean, I imagine that uh, both both uh, quarterbacks are getting the reps in practice. Um uh, if, you know, if, if that's not happening, uh, you know, it, it definitely impacts because every quarterback is different on every step. Even if, uh, you know, you're running, you know, similar routes, I think, uh, you know, you get used to a certain different quarterback. Like, it, uh, you know, I knew what Rex Grossman was. I knew what Chris Leak was. <clears throat> you know, um, the only similar thing we had, I know uh, when we when I was uh, a freshman um, and a sophomore, uh, Rex Grossman and um, Brock Berlin were kind of battling it out and they would come in and out but um uh, there is a difference but if you get in the reps and practice from each uh you know if anthony's getting the reps memory's getting the reps uh you know with the receivers i think you you know you kind of fill out and you know exactly how to break uh, with different uh w- w- depending on the quarterback that you have on there 
Now, Los, I mean, I mean, I, I don't know if you saw it or not, but uh, you know, uh, Seatric Faison, C4, and uh, Kiwan Rat, both of those guys are getting inducted to the 2021 Florida Georgia Game Hall of Fame. I've been blessed enough to be inducted into it. I'm, I'm calling it right now. Los, how is it going to be when you get the call, man? Uh, niggas, hey, let, welcome, call it for us. Congratulations. Welcome to the uh, the Florida Georgia Game Hall of Fame. Man, 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 that'll be like a dream come true, you know, especially. But first of all, I do want to congratulate, you know, C4 Theatric Faison and, uh, you know, Rat Dog, Kiwan, uh, Ratliff. And definitely, you know, how I how much I was excited uh, when you got inducted. I think all of you uh, definitely deserve it. You, uh, you know, did an amazing job that game. Um, as for me, you know, I'll be super excited, uh, you know, to even join, to even join that, that long legacy you know, uh, you know Georgia. I had uh, I had really good fortune against Georgia. Uh, uh, you know, ever since I got there, you know, sophomore year, actually uh, got a touchdown called back. I don't know if you remember when I dove in the end zone, and then uh, junior year I had that great game, and senior year I got that screen pass that I took to the house. Uh, uh, you know, to uh, you know seal the deal on, on that game. So for some reason I made big plays uh, against Georgia, and I can say you know I never lost against Georgia. That's why uh, you know. I don't fear Georgia. So, I mean, I hope that I, I get that call. If I ever get that call, man, um, you'll be the first person to call, and, uh, you know, we can definitely celebrate. Now, Lowe's, hold on, man. I mean, I was, I was going to bring that up. You said you got the touchdown, you know, I seen you. Yeah, now, look, Lowe's, I know you fast. I, I've seen you. I know you. How fast do you think you was running on that screen? Because, Lowe's, you was running so fast that you just fell in the end zone. You, I mean, if we, if we clocked you on that play, how many miles per hour do you think you was going on that play, Lowe's? Hey, man, I, I don't think I ever ran that fast in my life, to be honest. Man. I don't think – I don't know what happened that game. For some reason, if, when you look at it, you can find it on YouTube or you can – it's just a different level of speed that I, that I hit that day. That I couldn't even – I couldn't even get my foot together to stop in the end zone, tripped in the end zone. Y'all laughing at me. But it was – if I could just single out, you know, uh, probably the one play. If they say, Carlos, you got one play – uh, to talk about your whole career, and I think that'll be it, man. That play to me uh, is 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 one of the most memorable plays of that game. I felt that uh, that you know I never ran that fast. When I hit the end zone, and I saw that Florida fan base go crazy, and all of you guys just jumping on me, uh, man, I still remember it. Uh, you know, uh, twenty uh, eighteen plus or twenty years later, man, it's different. Carlos Perez, former Florida Gators wide receiver, our guest here on 3 and Out. Carlos, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Thank you, guys. Have a great day, and go Gators. Yeah, Carlos Perez, our guest here on uh, 3 and Out. And, uh, Ben, obviously you're going to need some plays like that offensively against this Georgia defense, much like you're talking about uh, here on Saturday. Uh, de- definitely. You're going to have to play with a lot of confidence. This is a Georgia team that's very, very stingy. They don't like to give up any yards. They don't want to make you feel like you got any confidence moving forward in the game, but – Yes, I mean, plays like Carlos Perez made my senior year, you know, with the go screen and trying to come up with big plays. It's going it's to have to come from an unsung hero. Going into the 2002, myself, Kelvin Kite, you know, Aaron Walker, none of, none of us guys really uh, was really making plays for the team. Taylor Jacob goes out, uh, BJ and Rex Grossman. Uh, he, I, think he, I think at the time he had the most completions uh, in, a, in a Florida-Georgia game uh, in 2002. I don't know if it's been broken since then, but – I just think about Treon Harris only has five throws. They go out there and break the record for most rushing yards in the game. Uh, we set the record. So those type of things have to happen. But I always say this. Great teams make, break, supposed to bring out the greatness in you. And I think that happened for me in 2002 and 2003. And hopefully that happened for them Gators on Saturday.
Yeah, and, and, and quickly, I've seen some people uh, talk about what Carlos mentioned there, similarities between 0-2 and this season. Do you see a parallel there? I do, BJ, because at the end of the day, it's kind of like what we talked about uh, with the Braves finally making it back to the World Series. You can play loose. Let's face it, you're going up against the number one team in the country, a team that doesn't give up a bunch of points, a team that you don't even really worry about their offense because their defense is so dominant. Uh, as, as Carlos mentioned, uh, going into uh, 2002, I mean, we was – I think we were we were three and three after six games, and then we had a, we had, our next five was like LSU, Arkansas, South Carolina, Georgia, and Vanderbilt. That was we had to run the gauntlet. So for us, it's about controlling what we can't control. I remember Shannon Snell telling us, "Look, fellas, man, we either Florida or we not. Y'all either want to be here or you don't. You either want to go out here and make a play, you know, and and that kind of and we kind of started playing for each other. I don't know how much that's going to have bearing on Saturday, but if you are Florida with nothing to lose and everything to gain, go out there and act like it." We've got more to come here on uh, BJ and Ben. We talked about the uh, conference expansion. The Sun Belt officially added Southern Miss yesterday. Uh, they will become members no later than July 1, 2023. So you're talking about one more football season. And maybe before that, I think a lot of it probably depends on what Oklahoma and Texas end up getting away with out of the Big 12 and how quickly all these conferences want teams to jump. But Southern Miss in. Old Dominion in today, that that press conference out there. So the Sun Belt has officially added two more members. And, again, it's not official, but a lot of the expectation is that next week uh, you will have the official press conference for James Madison uh, to come into the conference. And why that other one just uh, slipped my mind, BJ? Marshall. Marshall, Marshall out of uh, West Virginia uh, will, will come in in the next week. That's the expectation. But the Sun Belt officially two teams deeper uh, as of yesterday and today. And I think it's impressive uh, from Keith Gill what he's been able to do, Commissioner Gill, uh, expanding the footprint of the Sunbelt Conference, getting theoretically uh, – you have some 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 uh, uh, conference members that don't play football, but for football you're now at 12, and if you add James Madison and Marshall as projected, you'll be at 14, which seems to be kind of the new – modern standard for football playing teams two division format look southern miss is one of the uh you know more impressive if you want to call them mid-major programs before the distinction group of five uh put guys in the national football league won big bowl games won big games old dominion if you don't know a lot about that program uh, up in harrisonburg virginia and you think about a program that is young at the fbs level but they beat, they've, they've been to a bowl game, actually went to the Bahamas Bowl a couple of years ago, uh, one at Virginia Tech a couple of years ago. So a program that's already uh, making some noise. I believe uh, Taylor Heineke's in the National Football League, played at Old Dominion. So I think Georgia Southern fans should obviously have familiarity with Southern Miss. And I think Old Dominion, now you have a program that's a little closer to maybe Appalachian State, and we'll see what happens with James Madison moving forward. But I think I think it's exciting to think about the future of the Sun Belt Conference, and uh, you're you're kind of taking shape, Kevin. We talked about this years ago, where you really have a regional focus, and you expand into Virginia, you expand into Mississippi, but you really have a regional focus. And I think there's a lot of energy and momentum around the Sun Belt, as well as should be. I mean, BJ. I mean, uh, the thing of what uh, Southern Miss, home of what Frank Gore Jr. Right, Frank Gore Jr. I think goes to Southern Miss. You talk about Old Dominion having a current player. In the National Football League, but bigger, bigger than the, who the Sun Belt plays within conferences, who they play outside of conference. You talk about it, it is, this is not this is not opinion wise the best the best uh, you know G five conference is the Sun Belt. They call it the Fun Belt when you play within that conference. You do not want to deal with them outside of. It. So BJ, you talk about you talk about Louisiana. You talk about how 
you know, App State. You know, you talk about Coastal Carolina. You talk about uh, Georgia Southern. Now you adding Southern Miss. Now you adding Old Dominion and Marshall. Potential. I, I, I just think that when you think about what a what adding, you know, when you add two new uh, teams uh, to conference, they're supposed to boost the reputation of that conference. And obviously, when you think about what it does for recruiting, because I don't know about y'all, BJ, but you know, but Thursday night, you know, you got Georgia Southern versus Southern Miss. I think. That type of stuff is going to get people excited. So, yes, shout out to the Sun Belt, finding a way to get it done. And Kevin said something that I think goes, oh, sorry about that. Good to have you back here, three and out, hour two, all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. We'll hear from Max Starks, former All-SEC uh, offensive tackle for the Florida Gators. Also still to come, uh, Gerald Anderson, former Georgia defensive tackle. Well, Jonas, we'll ask him about that Georgia defense. Uh, he was on some very good Georgia defense. What does he think about this Georgia defense going into the Georgia-Florida game? But first, it's 4 o'clock. Let's take three here on 3 and Out. All right, BJ and Ben, take one. Kyle Pitts ranks in the top 20 in the NFL in receiving and trails only Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews in yards receiving by a tight end. Even this early in his career, where does he rank amongst the league's top tight ends? All right, obviously you're the expert here, Ben, and I don't want to get too excited, but when you look at the production, man, I mean, outside of guys like like Kelsey, outside of guys like Kittle, you know, a couple of guys, I mean, I, I, I don't think it's irresponsible to say he's top seven, top, you know, maybe even top five to seven. I mean, Gronk, when he's healthy, obviously. I mean, I, it's 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 tough because you have such a small sample size, but so impressive, so fluid. Uh, you know, seems to have a great feel for kind of finding seams and coverage, which a lot of young players in the NFL don't have. Uh, you drafted him as the highest selected tight end ever to be one of the best, and. Again, maybe not top five. You know, you look at guys like Ertz, maybe later in their career, but still very, very good. I I think no lower than top seven or eight. I mean, no lower. And if I have to pick one number, I'll say he's top seven, top seven tight end already a month and a half into his career in the league. I'm 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 going to do my best to say this right because I know Kevin and BJ are waiting on me. Okay. Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts could potentially be the number one tight end in the NFL. I'm going to tell you why. I am not talking about being better than Travis Kelsey. I am not talking about being better than Mark Andrew. I am talking about the fact that he had 163 yards. That is the most receiving yards in a game for a t- in tight end history for an Atlanta Falcons. He has proven to be the focal point. And this is why I say he could be the number one tight end in the league. They are already running the passing game through him. They are doing it right now. I don't know if I ever had a 100-yard receiver game in the NFL. If I did, you're going to have to go back to the tape. But what I'm saying is, BJ, this good, this good, this better, this best impact. You take Kyle Pitts off the Atlanta Falcons offense, they got Cordell Patterson. Think about it. Really, really isn't having the year you think he would because it's hard to be a number one receiver when you're getting double, you know, gauging those guys. So for me, I'm, he is not better than Kittle. He is not better than Hurts. He is not better than Andrews. And this is and this is just being honest. He ain't better than O'Shag Henderson because they, they've been doing it over a long period of time. But could he be the number one uh, tight end in the league right now? Yes, because they are running the passing game through him. The hardest thing to do is to not be a focal point, to be the main point. He is the main point 
on the offense. So for me, yes, BJ, definitely top seven, maybe even top five, but I think he might even consider to be the number one because you, Travis Kelsey, you know, him and Patrick Mahomes, Mark Andrews, you know what he got over there with uh, Lamar Jackson, Zach Ertz is out there with Arizona now. Darren Waller, to me, people, never always keep him in the top five, but because of impact, he could potentially be the number one. All right, moving along, take two, Wake Forest. Yes, Wake Forest is 7-0. Just scored 70 on Army over the weekend. Are the Demon Deacons a legitimate playoff contender? I think they are, and and I used to not feel that way. Uh, I, I think when you look at the rankings and you start to project and you look at the games that are left, now, they're not a, they're not a favorite. I mean, they're not in the top ten right now, but I do think that was – a win on Saturday that got the attention of people around the country who may not otherwise watch Wake Forest. I mean, this is just, we've talked about this before. This is just the reality of there are only so many hours in the day. I mean, if you're a national college football writer and and, and you don't live in the South, there are a number of games you're watching. And when you're kind of processing information, maybe you're just seeing the box score. Maybe you're just going through, if it's not on regional television, our national television, you're watching another game. I think 70 points stands out. And Army's been a really good program under Jeff Munkin. And people may not even fully appreciate this. They entered Saturday sixth nationally in total defense, or scoring defense, excuse me. They were sixth in the country in scoring defense. And Wake Forest dropped 70. Uh, now you're starting to see some whispers for Sam Hartman as a Heisman Trophy contender. Uh, you look at, and Kevin, you've made this point a number of times. There are like, like like half of the top 12 is the Big Ten. Well, all of those teams play each other in the next couple of weeks, starting this Saturday with Michigan and Michigan State. And I think there's going to be some attrition. I think Penn State plays Ohio State Saturday, and maybe there's an upset or two. But if, if you look at the last month of the season, Wake Forest, they have Duke on Saturday. Then they have North Carolina, NC State, Clemson, and Boston College. And though those four teams have not been great, I think those are wins that resonate with people. You know, you beat North Carolina, they haven't been great, but they have Sam Howell. NC State's been in and out of the national top 25. Clemson is still a name school, and Boston College has been good. And then if you enter the ACC championship game against top 15 Pitt, Heisman Trophy finalist Kenny Pickett in Pitt, I think those are showcase-type games that make you a contender. Now, no, I'm not saying they're getting in, but, but 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 to the premise of the question, I think if they win out as other teams start to compile losses, there's no other choice. And I know you're going to sum it up and say, oh, no, and that's going to be your take. I already know, Kevin. But I think, <laughs> there, I think there's a way for them to make a rise with the schedule turning as it is. B.J. Sandler, you just gave a Wake Forest dissertation. Like, listen, let me tell you about these Wake Forest guys. BJ, it's not Wake Forest's fault. It ain't their fault. If I say Wake Forest to the average to the average fan, they're gonna say, who Tim Duncan? No, no, Wake Forest. Oh, Chris Paul. No, Wake Forest, the football team. What? And that's the problem. See, bigger than what you do, what is your national perception? What do we know about you nationally? Right? You don't have the better resume than Wake Forest, Coast Carolina. And they lost App State. The thing about Wake is, BJ, you gave me a lot of scenarios. You got a, you, had, you gave me a lot of things that have to happen outside of Wake for them to get in. The probability of those things happen are slim and none. And even if they do, BJ, you know what the college football playoff committee, they're going to do two things. They're not going to tell us how they voted, and it ain't going to make sense who they put in at number four. It will not be Wake Forest because, unfortunately for them, you have to make sense geographically and nationally to get in to the college football playoff. The Demon Deacons... 
which is one of the craziest mascots you're going to ever have if you really listen to it. It's not their fault. Just like Coastal Carolina last year, BJ, if we were really, really watching, which they weren't, yeah, that's, hold what, up. that's what yeah, it really hold is. Up. I, look, Kevin, I'm not saying they get in. I'm not because I understand the schedule is not comparable to, say, Ohio State's. But to the question, would you be contending if you can go undefeated in a Power 5 conference? And, and Roddy Jones said a couple of days, a couple of weeks ago on the show, hey, those are the conferences that we decided as college football uh, you know, fans and media members that are the conferences that have the benefit of the doubt. If you can go undefeated and not even be a contender – then, then what are we doing? What, like, like, why? Why? I mean, why is Wake Forest in the ACC? And I'm not saying they get in. There may be a scenario where Ohio State or Oregon or whoever has a better resume, and I support that. I support the comparing and contrast of resumes. But if we're just sitting here and you throw out the question, what if Wake Forest goes undefeated and we all collectively go, ha, that's ridiculous, we wouldn't even look at them, then, then, then what's the point? Like, like, what are they doing? Well, they're not getting in because their name is Wake Forest. I mean, that's just – I agree with what you're saying, but also understand the reality is they're not getting in. They have, what, a 5,000 student enrollment. They're not getting in. Their fan base is small. They're not getting in. That's not their fault. They're just not getting in, uh, even if they're 12-0, and 13-0 uh, at the end of the day. Also doesn't help that, you know, NC State losing games and things like that uh, in terms of the strength of the ACC to help them out. But they're not getting in. If they if they win it all, we'll not get in. Look, BJ, I still have questions as to whether or not Cincinnati will get in, and they're currently in the top four. So that ought to tell you all where, what I think about uh, how the system works uh, for those guys as well. All right, moving along. Take three. We are 100 days away, 100 of them, away from the Winter Olympics in Beijing. What is your favorite Winter Olympics sport? All right, and I'm going to steal yours, Ben, because we were talking about it in the show meeting. I was thinking, I mean, there are things I like. I like the figure skating. I like the, you know, the little half pipe. I do. I, you know, there, there are a number of different sports that I like, but you mentioned, and I don't even know what it's called, but when they get on the huge slide, right, it's like 200 feet in the air. And because this is incredible. What, Kevin, what? what? They should, they should, they should, I mean, I'm not ski jumping. I guess. I'm sorry. I'm not an expert in in in, in winter you Olympic gotta go. distinction. You got to go. You got to go. I'm saying, yeah. What I'm saying is, you get on a slide like 300 feet in the air. It was 200. Now it's 300. All right. You go up there. You ride down it, and you literally get shot off into the earth. Like you're jumping into the atmosphere. And I don't know. I mean, I, I don't have a good frame of reference or kind of contact uh, context point. But I think you're like. A hundred plus feet oh, in it's the air. It, 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 yeah, it's at certain points. It's gonna get ugly. It's gonna get ugly. Your body in so that you can <laughs> go all the way. And then hold on, hold on. Not only are you getting put into the air off of riding down a huge slide, after all this, where you're trying to go as high and far as possible, you then land like you're basically being dropped out of a helicopter, and you have to land with these little sticks and the ski. It's absurd and it's amazing. I don't know how it works. I don't know why you would get into that. I don't know the rules, but it is absolutely amazing and yeah. just crazy. Why don't you watch a little movie called Eddie the Eagle? A really good movie all about ski jumping. It's pretty good. No, BJ, no, no. It's called no, no it's called the Neo. I call it the Neo. This is why I call it, and, and I'm going to use the same one you got, BJ. This is why I call it Neo. You ever seen the movie The Matrix? You know, Morpheus goes, and he jumps from one building to the next. He goes, boom. And Neo goes, he goes, and Neo goes, what? He goes, come on. He says, free free your mind, Neo. 
As soon as Neo Jumpy, uh, that's what it's gonna be. As soon as I come out that thing, it's gonna be. Uh, and BJ, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna tell my legs, I'm gonna tell my lower extremities, I'm really gonna miss y'all because there is zero percent chance I'm gonna be able to use y'all when I get off this lift. But BJ, the the, the speed, the speed uh, skating. When they got, when they doing it, I, I kind of like that too, cause you know, legs be really, really in shape. I, I'm, I want y'all to hear what Kevin Thomas wants to do. It ain't about what we want to. Listen, all I'm saying is, all three of us, we, we not gonna be able to walk. But Kevin, I don't know. We, we, we might miss Kevin all together. No, it's all good, man. Look, the ski jumping got the, the, the skeleton's really cool. I like that. Head first <laughs> down the hill. For, if you want to talk about something that would be fun to do. The four-man the four man bobsled. Push it, and I, I don't have to be the brake guy or the driver. I just sit and duck and just ride. That would be like, you know, riding a roller coaster. It'd be fun. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Just to confirm, you want to get in a soda can on an ice slope yep. with, with a couple of other people, go like 100 miles an hour, and just ride down the hill. You ever been to Six Flags? That's basically what it is. <laughs> Yeah, and when I go to Six Flags, I shoot the basketballs, and that's it. I seen cool runnings. I saw, I saw how it ended. No, you, I mean, you got to go like this. I mean, when one guy got to go this way, you got to go. That, I think they got a two, a two man bobsled now. But then you got to do too much. The four man, if you're in the so middle, Kevin, Kevin, you just got to push. I want to be the one in the front because all I want. No, do is not in the front. You want to push, get in, and just ride. Kevin says, I think quote going down a hill head first. Yeah, would be fun. the skeleton. Until, until you hit a. Oh, <laughs> Cause that's what's gonna happen. I mean, and why, and why it's got to be on a cliff? Like they gave me nothing, a helmet. There's nothing to the right, but it's like, it's, have anybody ever died doing this? Yeah, maybe we lose somebody every year. It's awesome. What? No, I'm gonna do the ski jump. I'm gonna do the speed skating. I'm not gonna do the little quicker picker upper thing when they. I, oh, I, the, you know, the, the the curling. The curling get on my nerves. It's not a winter event, but I told BJ I did want to. I would go down the hill of like the little BMX thing. That would be fun. I'm not gonna do any tricks or anything. <laughs> I just want to you know go down and. <laughs> Listen, Kevin is an action junkie when it's all said and done. And Kevin like action junkie stuff. That's fine. I mean, I want no one. I'm says, not doing like 360s and like spinning the bike around. <laughs> I'm just gonna go down. I just want to ride. Okay, down so hold on. How long will it take you to try to do a trick? What actually are you doing when you get on the bike and go down like basically a, a a constructed mountain that then goes up another mountain? What are you doing? Riding. It's uh, not a trick. I'm I'm a. Uh, I'm kissing my children saying, listen, daddy love y'all. Cause it's gonna be bad. It's gonna BJ, it's, even if I go slow, like think about me, see how big my head is? And I'm finna go head first down the hill. I mean, look, this, it won't be good for me. The helmet, I don't care how big the helmet, the reinforced helmet. Well, my helmet ain't, ain't gonna be what's gonna get tore up. It's gonna be my, the neck down. But Kevin Thomas say, hey, next up, <laughs> from coastal Georgia, Kevin Thomas. Woo, let's do it, let's do it. Kevin, he will be feeling? performing no tricks, but he will ride down the hill, and that's all he wants to do. I'm going to be going Dead down last. the hill 100 miles an hour. Head you're not first. going 100 miles Why an hour How fast do you there? think you're going? You're going fast, On a Kevin. BMX bike? They're not going 100. They're not going down far enough. I'm talking about the skeleton one, though. The skeleton? Uh, that, probably, that would just be the adrenaline rush. I would probably be like halfway down and be like, yeah, somebody tell me how to stop. <laughs> yeah. Woo. It's going to get ugly. Look, look at BJ's face like, so you want to do something? Okay, would, would you rather it be the luge where I can put my feet first? Well, then you I mean, just you lay your, down? You put your feet on people's desks, so you might as well do the luge. I mean. <laughs> I'm not, that's, it's called the skeleton. It's not going to be good. When you go head first, it is. When you just lay down, it's the luge. You just lay down to fish. Uh-uh. Get no. you a little push start. 
go sliding down. Would it make it? Would it make it feel head. make you feel better, BJ? If while I was doing it, I'd go, wee, just like you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was feeling anxious, but now I feel great. Oh, like the pig go, wee, wee, the little commercial with the pig. Yeah. Oh, man, it's amazing. We know these commercials as soon as the little pig. Wee. You're home. Sorry. Yes, Mrs. G, you're home. Get out. Sign me up. I'll be in Beijing in 100 days. I'll be a loser. We've got more to come. It's three and out. On the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. All SEC offensive tackle for the Florida Gators. Also, Gerald Anderson, former Georgia Bulldog defensive tackle. Have some good insight on just what those guys are doing on that Georgia defensive front week in and week out. So he'll join us coming up in the final hour of the program. So looking forward to uh, to Max Starks coming up here in just a few minutes. And then Gerald Anderson will join us in the final hour of the program. But coming up uh, tomorrow, we'll be broadcasting out at the Westin on Jekyll as we get ready for Georgia and Florida, Ben and BJ. And then Friday, uh, we'll be out there again ahead of uh, Ben's third annual Florida-Georgia Legend Series going on right there at the Westin on Jekyll. Absolutely free for folks to come out and enjoy on on Friday evening. Yes, I'm really, really looking forward to the third annual Florida-Georgia Legend Series uh, with the the Florida-Georgia Legends Roundtable. Held at 7 o'clock in the, at the beautiful Western Hotel in Jekyll Island, uh, you know, in the courtyard area. Really, really looking forward to some great conversation. Carlos Alvarez and DJ Jones, you know, D. Webb and Washon Ely and Willie McClendon and Jeff Chandler. And I'm looking forward to having all the fans come out as well. Whenever you got, you know, guys get to, uh, get to reminisce a little bit about the game, I think it's always great to just sit back and just watch what this game means to these guys. And I'm just really, really looking forward to the conversation. BJ, I mean, it's going to be star-studded. Uh, come uh, you know, come Friday night. I'm just looking forward to the conversations. That way, BJ, you'll you'll realize the trash talk come in a lot of a lot of shapes, sizes, ages, generations. We're gonna try to our best to keep. We, 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 we're gonna try to keep it PG. But hey, man, if 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 it get a little out of hand, I'm looking forward to that as well. No, it really is incredible just to be able to sit back and Ben listen to you talk about uh, you know your moments in the game. Talk with you know great players who had incredible uh, efforts in this game. Some of the big names in Florida football history, Georgia football history, and 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 just to clarify for people because I've had some ask, "Hey, do I need a ticket?" No, all you have to do is just show up. Weston Jekyll, beautiful venue, uh, seaside, the courtyard. They're going to have it. Uh, lit up. They're going to have uh, uh, a round table where all the guys are. You'll be able to stand close or far away as you want and and kind of listen to the conversation, a chance to get autographs, take pictures. And it's just a it's just a really special thing. Uh, uh, proud, Ben, that, that, that we're able to do this. Obviously, you do a great job of – I know you've said time and time again, I want to, you know, pay it forward. I want to share the history. I want to honor guys who have come through it. It's really cool. You know, it's an intimate kind of setting where you can, uh, again, talk to some of these athletes one-on-one free – Family friendly, and uh, we hope to see you over there at the Western Jekyll. Yeah, I mean, it's it's my it's my way to say thank you. It's my way to show my my appreciation to these guys. I, I mean, I know we joke a lot about stats and who's good, who's better, who's best, who's greatest. All these guys, all these guys are the greatest to me because I know how hard it is to not only play at these schools, but to play in this game because it's so prestigious. I mean, it has its own Hall of Fame. When you look at when you look at how much it means to the fan base, how much it means to college football, how much these two universities mean to not just their states, but the fabric of college football, the SEC. So to know that you played in this game, you had any level of impact. It's not about who won the game, who lost the game, who had the better play, who didn't have the better play. It's just talking about what this game means because it's one thing when people are toasting to you. People are 
you know, getting hotel rooms and Airbnbs and setting up their whole schedule around this for, you know, 18 to 24 year olds to go out there and try to do the best they can for their team, for the tradition, for the fan base, for the love of it. So I, Carlos Alvarez, Willie McClendon, DJ Jones, Washon Ely, Jeff Chandler, D Webb. It should be some good stuff. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think D Webb is from Jacksonville. So I'm really, really looking forward to having these guys down. It's it's the least I can do for this. Some of the, you know, some of these uh, pioneers that came through this game. I'm looking forward to an incredible event. You know, Friday at the Westin on beautiful Jekyll Island. Uh, it is free to the public. Kevin Thomas will be there. B.J. Bennett will be there not only signing autographs, but B.J. will be signing the book he just wrote. You know, Uncommon Unfinished, the Ben True Story with B.J. Bennett. B.J. will be there signing autographs. And listen, for those who don't know, B.J. loves two things. Talking to the public and taking pictures with the public. He loves it. He will get a chance to do it on Friday. Please be there. BJ said, please, if you can't do nothing else, give him a hug, take a picture, and he'll sign some autographs. Absolutely. And again, the weather <laughs> expected to be nice there. And uh, I believe we're set up kind of facing the uh, ocean side there at the yes, uh, at the Westin. Yes. So uh, should be a whole lot of fun. I encourage you to come out and, uh, and join us there on Friday night. One for the radio show. We'll be there 3 to 6. And then uh, the roundtable uh, begins at 7 p.m. there at the Westin. Again, absolutely free for you to come out and, uh, and and check out and have some fun with. So looking forward to it. I know in year one when we got to do it in person, uh, it was, you know, great stories. Uh, fans asked, hey, I guess, Ben, you said some – some interesting questions, some good ones. And he said, some, man, there's some interesting ones uh, that are out there as well. Well, the, the, thing, the, <laughs> thing, the thing about it is, okay, but this is the thing, too. It, it went from, and BJ remember this, BJ, it went from the game itself to what, what type of GPA do you got to have to get to Florida? What type of GPA you got to have to get to Georgia? Are you serious? You got to have, and I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> wait a minute, but, but I just love how we defend our universities. Like, we, we talk about them like, look, the only contribution I made is, you know, get, getting, a, getting a scholarship, doing the best I could. You know, they ain't get one dime out of me. Ain't no buildings with my name on it. Ain't nothing. Ain't no street with my name on it. If they if I got they got to get some money for me to get a building, that's their last building. Because my, my name ain't going on nothing. But I, do, but I do look forward to the, the genuine love and, like, hate we have for each other. I say this all the time. Florida is Florida because Georgia – you know, because Florida and Georgia, we, we need each other. We don't say it out loud, but we make up more stuff about the opposing team than I've ever seen. People are like, man, you don't really want to go to Florida, man. I mean, the weather down there is bad. I said, the weather is bad in Florida. No. The weather's bad in Athens. <laughs> I'm just saying. But I am looking forward to it, BJ and Kevin. I, I, you know, I'm looking forward to meeting all these guys and meeting some of the fans. And like I said, it should be a whole lot of fun. So, yeah, coming out uh, on a Friday. Again, we'll have uh, hmm. Christian will be there with second down starting at uh, 2 o'clock. We'll be there from 3 to 6 with three and out in the round table uh, right after that at uh, 7 p.m. there at the Weston on Jekyll. Should be a whole lot of fun. we got more to come here on the show on this Wednesday, getting you ready for Game 2 of the World Series tonight. We're continuing to talk Georgia and Florida. Max Starks, former All-SEC uh offensive tackle and just a great NFL offensive tackle as well. He'll join us when we return. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Then will join us in the final hour of the program, former Ware County Gator and Georgia defensive tackle, two-time SEC champion. I will join us coming up in the final hour of the program. Of course, look at World Series game number two tonight uh, as well. But uh, BJ and Ben, Senior Bowl, uh, made it up with a lot of announcements for the Sun Belt expanding by a couple of teams yesterday and today. And we will see next week it is expected they add two more. But the Senior Bowl saying they're adding two uh, the, the events of the week, adding some more like off the field uh, coaching and training for 
mental wellness and things of that nature as part of the Senior Bowl week. Yeah, I think it's really cool. And Ben, I know you've talked about you know the the value and importance of that over the years on the air. But uh, 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 teaming up with a, a uh, consulting firm that's going to work on, like you said, preparing the athletes mentally for what they're getting into. And uh, in the story on ESPN.com, uh, uh, Jim Nagy, I believe the executive producer of the or, or director, I should say, of the Senior Bowl, uh, referenced Simone Biles and and what she went through and her courage and bravery talking about some of her struggles. So I know it's really important to focus on, of course, the physical things you see at the Senior Bowl, but the mental stuff as well. I think that's a great move, and uh, I, I commend the Senior Bowl for that. Yeah, Jim Nagy and those guys, I mean, give them a lot of credit. They are ahead of the curve. They are understanding that with uh, with the uh, nuance or, you know, you, with the world of uh, social media and how much more accessibility we have to these athletes, that's only adding to the pressure that's on them. But Sometimes you need to know that you have those resources, BJ and Kevin. I think the biggest thing is a lot of times things that are afforded to me, I'm going to take advantage of because it's showing me it's okay to utilize these resources. Outside of trying to show these coaches I can be the best player, hopefully I can get some much-needed uh, you know, uh, mental, you know, mental wellness uh, added to my uh, structure. It's only going to make me a better individual, which is only going to lead to me becoming a better player. And again, we'll see how that uh, impacts the week there at the Senior Bowl. And again, some new things for the uh, the athletes there as they get ready for a potential job in the professional ranks. They're heading into the National Football League. Coming up, final hour, we're talking game two tonight, BJ and Ben. After last night, how you feeling quickly before we get to it in the final hour? Great spot. You're in a great spot. You have the one-game advantage. Not only did you win, you won convincingly. And now Max Freed on the mound. I think the Braves should be... Quite optimistic and uh, feeling good tonight. Confident, confident, and more confident, Kevin. Now can they play relaxed, but can they keep the pressure on these using Astros, for which now the pressure really mounts for them trying to make sure they avoid the 0-2 deficit. We've got more to come. Final hour around the corner. Hit us up on Twitter, at Pigskin Radio. At Pigskin Radio, we are streaming live as well, ESPNCoastal.com, live video streaming uh, there on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. If you miss any portion of the show, you can go to ESPNCoastal.com, our YouTube channel, and get the podcasted version of the show each and every day. Final hour coming up. We're talking game two when we return here on, on this Wednesday. We'll hear from Gerald Anderson coming up in just a little bit. Former Georgia defensive tackle. He will join us on the program. We'll get his thoughts on this Georgia defensive front as they head into uh, their game with the Gators coming up on Saturday. But, guys, it's game two tonight. Max Freed goes for the Atlanta Braves. Braves win it 6-2 last night. I think virtually everybody's available again tonight except maybe uh, A.J. Minter. So, how you feeling? Uh, obviously, the goal was take one, but now you're in a position to take two, potentially, if you can play up to that level again tonight. Yeah, last night was magical, was surreal for the Braves, especially as we talked about with Solaire making history there in the first at bat. I think, and Kevin, I want to see if you agree, Ben, with with Max Freed tonight, because of the circumstances that the Braves are going to face moving forward without a clear Game 5 starter, I kind of think you want an uneventful start from Max Freed. And what I mean by that is kind of the perfect outing, given that you're probably going to ask him to pitch on Sunday on short rest, would be if he can get you to the sixth, you know, give you five innings. Uh, I, and we were talking about this in the show meeting. I don't even know that if you could draw it up, you would you would count a lot of strikeouts because strikeouts add to your pitch count. Uh, now, granted, those are a lot better than giving up a hit or two, uh, you know, in an inning. But I think you want to have a modest pitch count from Max Freed. Uh, and sometimes he's, you know, very economical with his pitches. Sometimes he's not. 
but beyond the obvious of walking people and uh, you know extending innings, he's probably going to pitch on Sunday. I, I I really don't know what the other option is because you're going to have a bullpen game on Saturday and there's not another starting pitcher. I mean, you're not going to pitch Ian Anderson on two days rest. You don't have Charlie Morton. You don't have the equity in the pen. You don't have the equity in the pen to have back-to-back traditional bullpen games. I think you're going to see Max Fried. So if you could you know, get him out of the game with the lead with maybe less than 90 pitches, I think that would be ideal. But clearly, this is a game where if you win, the entire, the entire dynamic changes. If Houston is going back to Atlanta down 0-2, that is a dramatically different series. So I think the Braves, Ben, have the momentum. I think they have the confidence. I think you have the better pitcher on the mound tonight. Your offense was brilliant last night. Uh, I think Atlanta is the favorite tonight. And if they win this game, this is a series that is not only in Atlanta's favor, but overwhelmingly so. What the Braves can do, what the Braves do tonight, tonight, Kevin and BJ, is apply pressure. Because the thing about it is, let's face it, everybody had to get over, uh, you know, as a uh, first game jitters. Even if Houston has been in this position before, Houston is trying to prove something different. The Braves are proving that they belong. That they're just not a team that just was on the uptick the last four years. And they finally, maybe their biggest obstacle, you know, happened in the NLCS against the Dodgers. You talk about a Max Fried, uh, BJ, that became that ace. Because let's face it, it was supposed to be Mike, you know, it was supposed to be Mike Soroka. You know, and not Max Fried at this point, but here he is. So I do agree. Him just going out there and being Max Fried. Like, it should be a boring game from him because he's just go out there and do what he does. But this Houston team, they're going to be pressing because – I don't know. I don't know what the stats are, BJ. I know you a numbers guy. How hard it is to come back down, uh, you know, 0-2. Now I know Kevin gave us some stats that the Braves did previously, but I mean the Astros aren't the Yankees. I'm sorry. Everybody needs to always come together to bring down the evil empire known <laughs> as the Yankees. But BJ, I think you make. I think you bring up a great point when you talk about Max Fried. This is his moment because he's probably going to be asked to you know pitch again, depending on depending on what happens. I know we went over the scenarios earlier in the show. But there's something about playing with a lead. Everybody plays better with a lead. Fans cheer harder when they when when they when they have a lead. But when you look at how dangerous this lineup is, you're gonna need the lineup to do their part because these these pitchers seem to play better when they have cushions. But I think also this Braves team is getting comfortable, saying, "All right, you know, we 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 kind of see where we up." And I know it's only game one. How much can you learn from a team in one game? But Houston is looking around, saying, "Dude, like we gotta." They got to deal with Free, but they got to deal with this lineup as well. So, yes, I do think Max Free, BJ, hopefully, you know, five, six, you know, six innings. Um, don't overexert himself. Uh, you know, the game, hopefully the game, uh, you, know, he, he, you know, he goes out of the game with a lead so that, you know, uh, that bullpen can do what it does. But I think Max Free goes in confident because he knows, dude, these bats are on fire. I got an I got a offense that is helping me. So how much more aggressive, Kevin, can a can a can a pitcher like Max Free be in knowing I don't have to I don't have to be my best. I just can't be my worst knowing that I might have not not even just my defense, but I got an offense that can definitely bail me out. Well, you do have a great defensive team, but again, I think it's one thing to say, well, you can't count on the offense doing what it's doing uh, every night. I agree. Uh, but it's normally not everybody that goes to the funk. Last night, everybody on the roster, or I say that, everybody in the starting lineup had a hit last night. So all nine guys for the Braves had a hit. It's hard to say who's cold at that point, right? Everybody was seeing the ball well. If you come out and, and can continue to hit the ball, look, I think give Max Free to lead early and, and really see what he can do. I, I feel like you have a couple of guys who last series against the Dodgers, just for whatever reason, 
Maybe it was nerves. Maybe it's just the matchup. Did not play well. Luke Jackson did not play well against the Dodgers. Max Fried at home in L.A., uh, where he's from, and pitching for a, uh, a series to try to get his team to the World Series right down the street from where he grew up. Had to be nervous, had to be feeling it, and just did not pitch well. Let's see if he settles down here against the Astros, if it's a better matchup for him moving forward because he's pitched too well to think that all of a sudden he's going to lose it. That's kind of the same thought I had, BJ, with Alex Jackson. Or Alex Jackson, with Luke Jackson. Luke pitched too too good down the stretch to think, oh, he's back to old Luke Jackson because he had a bad outing against the Dodgers. Sometimes it's just a bad matchup, and you see a guy really, really well. That's sports, and everybody knows it. Uh, you look at it, every single person out there in Major League Baseball is somebody that owns Max Scherzer. Out there in Major League Baseball is somebody that when Walker Buehler gets up there, it's like, oh, we're having a good night tonight. It happens to everybody in sports, uh, even in the NFL. Hey, we're the worst team out here, but we own the Eagles when we play. Like, it just happens. Every every sport has that team or that player that you just perform better against for whatever reason. And I think we saw that with, with Luke, and hopefully we saw that with Max in the last series. And I really think he's going to come out and pitch well. I've been saying it since the Braves made it to the World Series. Confidence in this team. Have confidence in what they are able to do. Have confidence in their abilities and what got them here in the first place. And this is a good team that is a tough out. This is not a just roll over type baseball team. This is a good team that can hurt you in a number of ways. If somebody doesn't have it tonight, somebody else will, whether it's the offense, whether it's the the, the starting pitching, whether it's the bullpen, as Ben has said, somebody will pick up the slack and keep you in that ball game. And again, I think we're going to see another good performance tonight from this Atlanta Braves team. Balance, depth, and I know people have talked about this a lot, but I think it's an important point. Uh, when this when this series is in Houston, that's an advantage for Atlanta. And I know that sounds a little strange, given that you know Houston is accustomed to the DH. I know uh, last night on the broadcast they were talking about some of the changes that Houston's going to have to make uh, defensively to try to maintain that offense defense balance when you go to Atlanta. But to be able to have Rosario, Duvall, Solaire, uh, uh, and obviously Peterson in the lineup at once, I mean that's that's there. I don't know what you do if you're a starting pitcher. I mean, your worst, your worst quote unquote hitter is probably Travis Darno, and he's been one of the best hitting catchers of the last couple of years. And I say worst, I, it feels bad saying that. I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean the the lowest average. Of Somebody's got to be last in that right, lineup, right? Right. I mean, everybody in the infield's got 25 home runs. I mean, in the outfield, you have the hottest hitter on earth, and then you have the National League RBI leader. I mean, Darno's a very good player. And if you have to have a weak link, may, maybe it's him. Uh, this is this is an incredible lineup, and when you get to add one more bat via the DH, it's a massive advantage. And you saw that last night right away with with Solaire with the home run. So I think all and look, man, it's sports. There's going to be an ebb and flow. There's going to be a back and forth. But I think everything you can evaluate and everything you can contextualize with stats points the Braves' way. You know, you look at the starting pitching matchup tonight. You look at the momentum offensively. You look at the relief pitching. And I think it's a great point, Kevin, you made about, you know, talking about some of these guys. Tyler Matzik gave up a run last night. And I don't want to go back into the market correction thing that people hate when I talk about. But I think that's like the best thing you could have had happen because it was going to come back around a little bit because he was such an outlier statistically. And you had a five-run lead and gave up a run. That's what you want. You want to be able to absorb the ebb and flow and still win. And Atlanta was able to do that last night. 
I think the Braves are in a great spot, a, a, a great spot. And look, Houston is battle tested. They are a tremendous, tremendous, what tremendous team. Three out of the last five World Series, they've been there. But Ben, last night Atlanta was better, and they were better in every in every facet of the game. And you have the starting pitcher that you want tonight. I think you go after it. Just because one team has been there three out of the last five years, BJ doesn't mean they're more prepared than a team that hasn't been there since. 1999. I think this Braves team. The one thing you get about them is we get so if you you get so focused on Max Fried, you forget, dude. They gonna hurt you when they get back when they get back on offense. You got because think about the pitches for Houston. They like they think themselves, dude. Like where do I get relief? You don't. There there is no there is no relief. I mean, you look at you look at Soler last night. If I'm the pitcher tonight, I'm thinking, well, dude. I mean, I'm not as good a pitcher as they did in Game One. What what's gonna happen to me? You forget about Rosario. Oh, Freddie Free. Think about this. We ain't even talking about Freddie Fred to play. That's somebody else that can definitely hurt you. And Ozzy and Austin Riley. So I, I just think that the one thing the Braves are doing right now, they are hurting you in every aspect of the game. And one of the biggest assets now might be the bullpen, which we didn't see the progress they were making because Kevin, obviously, we're going to give them high, a lot of scrutiny throughout the course of the year. These guys, they bailed out Luke Jackson. They bailed him out. So I just think that when you think about BJ, how dangerous the Braves can be, they've gave, they've given you glimpses of it. They they showed it. To, listen, they showed it to you uh, in game in game six in the NLCS. They showed it to you in game one. Can you keep it up? Because if they can, Houston could be playing catch up. Because make no mistake about it, if Solaire goes yard tonight, <laughs> what does it do to that pitcher? But what does it do to the rest of that team? Saying. Dude, who are these Braves? Yeah. We reside at Truist Park in the ATL. A little, uh, a little change in the lineup tonight as well. Rosario back to the leadoff spot. I think it has more to do with the pitching matchup tonight for uh, the Astros. Jorge Soler down to the fifth spot. Jock Peterson slides up a little bit uh, to the sixth spot in the lineup tonight. So a little bit of a slight change there, BJ, for the Braves and their, their batting order tonight. And again, you have a guy batting fifth who... Uh, made history last night and led the American League in home runs a couple of years ago. It's just incredible. And what, Duvall, sixth or seventh? I mean, seventh, yep. the National League RBI. The National League RBI leader is batting seventh tonight. Just incredible. Alex Anthopoulos, uh, you know, you're seeing the, the uh, moves that he made come to fruition. It's it's pretty unparalleled, Kevin, well, in my mind. BJ, the, the National League RBI leader is batting seventh, and the second and third place RBI guys in the National League are batting third and fourth. <laughs> so, so you are you you definitely have the ability to go out there and put runs on the board. Uh, and again, if you're Max Fried, to me, you go out there with a lot of confidence. Sure would be nice if you could repeat what happened last night and put a run or two up in the first inning uh, just to, uh, to give him that confidence going on. I mean, as a pitcher, it's always nice when you go out there and you've already got a couple runs up before you've even taken the mound. So uh, we'll see what the Braves can do tonight, man. But, uh, you know, 2-0. Uh, would be huge going back to Atlanta where, uh, BJ, you talk about the atmosphere of postseason baseball. It's been good in Houston. I can only imagine what it's going to be like when the Braves get back home in front of their fans, a fan base that has not seen this in 20-plus years, a team in the World Series. It's going to be nuts. I mean, if you've been following online at ticket prices for this thing, and uh, you know, these things are worth, you know, like gold, uh, Bitcoin, if you want to make it modern out there. I mean, they are hard to come by, and, and, and people are fired up about I mean, could this be a situation much like you'll see at Georgia, Florida this weekend, where Saturday night in Atlanta, might you have about half as many people as in the stadium outside the stadium, in the battery, watching it on the TVs and stuff outside the stadium for game number four on Saturday? Yeah, great energy. And if you come back with a two-game lead up two to nothing, I mean – 
I'm not even going to say what you said earlier, Kevin, about the possibility of what? What? I mean, I mean Chris oh, is okay. No, no, no. We, no, no. We, no, no. Kevin, we understand. I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say well, it. He, you don't, you don't got to say that, BJ. Possibility. The possibility. Oh. Okay. All right. Hold on. Hold on. We don't got to say it, but this is my thing, BJ. Why so much respect for Houston? Is it to say the Braves ain't just as dangerous? I'm, I'm just saying, like I. Well, listen. Let me listen. Listen. <clears throat> Public service announcement: The Houston, the Houston Astros are an incredible team. We respect them. And it's like, hey, man, don't say too much complimentary things about Atlanta, man, because if you do, Houston's going to hear. They can hear. They, 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 you know, they, but I think at the end of the day, if, if Houston did what Atlanta did last night, what are we saying today? Hey, man, it's going to be – no. Like, the Braves earned this. They deserve to be here because they earned it. But, yes, we're not going to say anything too complimentary, but I will say this. If them Braves win it, the trash talk will not stop. I'm telling you, it's going to be rampant if the Braves win. Everything we couldn't say then will come out. And I'm talking about by, by the truckloads if if they do in, uh, indeed win that thing. And, again, you're talking about a uh, fan base that's been 25 years uh, since they've won a World Series title. So you've got folks in their mid-20s and younger who have never seen this and maybe – if you want to go up to 30, the last time they were, if you're 30 years old, last time it happened, you were probably still getting your, uh, your, your liquid out of a bottle at that point and didn't have any clue what was going on uh, anyway. So, look, it uh, could be a historic uh, you know, run if the Braves finish this off. I think tonight, game two, uh, will be very, very huge if they can come out and win this one and go home 2-0 with uh, Max Reed pitching a good ball game tonight for Atlanta. They have had to make some roster moves. Tucker Davidson is up to take Charlie Morton's spot, and people have said, well, why Tucker Davidson? Why not a Richard Rodriguez? And Tucker Davidson, a, a starter by trade, a guy that a BJ in this situation could probably give you two or three innings uh, if you needed to be, and that's certainly more than maybe a Richard Rodriguez who you're really looking at and saying you're a three-out guy, and uh, and that's all you can give us, especially looking at the prospect of Game four, game five, where you may have to, depending on the situation, get a little interesting with uh, with what you try to throw out there pitching wise. Yeah, it, it you know gives 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 a length to the bullpen when you think about uh, Smiley in that role, right? And and certainly Davidson uh, just gives you some more options, and I think I think that's the reason for the move. We've got more to come here on three and out. We're going to have a little fun with some of the uh, the Georgia and Florida all time greats. When we return, and we'll hear from Gerald Anderson in about fifteen minutes. Former Georgia defensive tackle, two time SEC champion. Having here three and out on this Wednesday, Kevin, PJ, and Ben. We'll hear from Gerald Anderson, former Georgia defensive tackle. He'll join us in just a little bit. But we want to have a little fun here on this Wednesday. We're going to find out who people think is better. We got Christian Gokelin here representing. Oh. This is not George. fun. Yeah, it is. This is science. Science isn't fun. It can be fun. No, it can't. You never had science class where you Bill mix the stuff Bill and the Nye. stuff comes exploding nah, out of the, Bill, Bill out of the beaker? That could here. be fun. Bill Nye ain't up in here. If you never played with a Bunsen burner in an illegal manner, then you have not had fun. Kevin, I bet you were the kind of kid who played with Bunsen burners a lot. I did. All right. Bunsen burner? You know, how, how trusting were the uh, teachers back in high school? We had those little valves that just shot out natural gas. It's like right there on the things. Like, Y'all didn't have those in science class? You thought they would be anywhere near anything from the shootout? With no, the Ben, because you were too busy playing sports. <laughs> what are you trying to say? Kevin, Kevin, like, is Kevin, like, is Kevin, say something, Kevin, like, what are you trying to say? I had to go to class, apparently. Christian I, oh, did I, not. Oh, I went to class. I'm not talking about you, apparently. Christian did not. I don't not. know if I ever turned on a Bunsen burner, ever. It's a, a Bunsen burner is, I mean, obviously that's dangerous, it's right? A, it's where, that's how you burn your buns. It's just a little, <laughs> you, you really don't know what I'm talking about? It's just a little stand that has <laughs> a flame come out, yeah. Like All right, little, sorry, sorry, sorry. That's where you burn your buns. Yeah, exactly. All right. All right, let's get to it because 
Ben, of course, played in Florida. Christian, a unabashed Georgia fan. Hello. And we will. Uh, <laughs> like, like, yes. Like, zero people didn't know that Kevin Christian like, yeah, hello. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, hi, nice to meet you. We are going to give you a matchup of a Georgia player and a Florida player, and you will vote on who was the better unbiased college football player. Unbiased. No, I just want y'all to watch something. No, I just want y'all to watch something. You're going to notice a theme as this goes. Wait, BJ is here to break the tie. So that's fine. Here we go. Let's start off. A we'll, we'll get you mad right out of the gate. We got Herschel Walker or Tim Tebow. Who was the better player? College only, not pros. What? Sure, show, Ben. Listen, I, listen. I mean, I, I by the time these things come up, I get a chance to really look at a better player and what they did. I will go with Herschel as a better player in college football than Tim Tebow. Yes, I would say he was a better player. Yeah, Tim Tebow played a more important position during his time and maybe the most important position in any sport. And he did win two national championships, even though he was the only starting quarterback for yeah, one. Yeah, that's what I'm for, saying. For like, one like, of them. Tim, Tim uh, Her- Tebow was no, no. gimmicky, and then he yeah, became but, like, you know. But Herschel Walker was a true freshman and led his team to a national championship. In the national championship game, his quarterback completed one pass. You know why? Because he had Herschel Walker to turn around and toss the football to. It's Herschel Walker, and I, I think it's pretty clear that it's Herschel Walker here, so... Uh, whoa, 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 See, you don't got yeah. to... Listen, listen, no, I'm, I think, giving, you, I think I'm giving you Herschel. Look, look, here's the separation. Herschel Walker never cried <laughs> oh, oh, at so, a game. So, 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 can you so, verify so, so, so that? Real, no. men, real men can't cry now? I don't know really if real men or not, but Herschel Walker does. All I know does. is Herschel Walker, Herschel Walker's touchdown record got broken. We got to move on quickly right. here. Aaron Murray, or this one hits hard for, for Ben, or Rex Grossman. At the end of the day, listen, I, listen, say, that's listen I love Aaron Murray and the air raid. But one guy threw for a bunch of yards. The other guy was a Heisman uh, runner-up. Apologies yeah. to the one. I'm going to go with Sexy Rexy. He averaged 300 yards in the SEC. Yeah, that's, that's my quarterback. That's my quarterback. No, that's Rex Grossman. <laughs> I, lo- I love Aaron Murray as much as the next guy. I think Aaron Murray is the best quarterback Georgia ever had in college. I know people are like, what, Matt Stafford was the number one overall pick. Aaron Murray was a much better <laughs> college quarterback. Aaron Murray was a much better college quarterback uh, than Matthew Stafford. Uh, but I do think Rex Grossman was the better quarterback. Right, this, uh, one, this one, I don't know if it's going to be close or not. David Green or Chris Lee. All right. Now, I listen, mean, objectively, right, now, Ben, there's only All right. Now, I got to put some context on this, too. I mean, one guy had to start as a true freshman out on the road against Baton Rouge. That would be a one Chris Lee could find a way to get it done. The other guy left uh, college football as an all-time uh, wins leader. I got a chance to catch uh, passes from both, even though one was in high school. I thought about this a little more. I listen, and I, and this, I love Christopher Leak. I definitely appreciate him throwing yeah. me the rock. But when I really break it down, I will go with David Green as the better as the better college quarterback yeah. for what he meant to the squad. We're talking about better, not greater. Yeah, obviously, yeah, I, one, obviously one got the national championship, but I, I think David Green was the better college quarterback. I mean, yeah, he's yeah. the all-time winningest quarterback when he no, left. Yeah, so when I mean, he left. I, I mean, you can't get better. No, 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 there's there's David nothing David else he could have done. Then was it? Then was like Colt McCoy and then Kellen Moore. Yeah, I believe so. All right, yeah, there we go. All right, and then let's move along. Running backs, Todd Gurley or Fred Taylor? College only now. Listen, love me some Fred Taylor with the visor, you know, with the with the blue tights. But I got, but listen, it's hard for me to put anybody over TG. TG three is that will forever be that dude. Give me TG three. Also returning kickoffs for touchdowns. Give me TG three. Oh, oh, Christian just already weighed in. That, that Nick Chubb or Emmett Smith? All right. This is what I know Christian was waiting. All right. Nick Chubb had 40, what, 48 touchdowns, uh, played in like three, 3.5 games, 3.5 years of what may have you. Nick Chubb has career, uh, what, 4,000, what, some yards. Uh, oh, Emmett Smith ain't that far behind. I mean, he's right at 4,000 in three years, by the way. I mean, I know that I know that Nick Chubb averaged six point some yards a game. I 
Huh? Okay, no, hold on. Go ahead. Just go ahead. Say, say who it is. Six, what, six say who it is. Just game? say who it is. Who do you think? Who do you think is better? Oh! All the we time know. when it comes to this stuff. <laughs> I, listen, I never really got to see Emma Smith do it, but you know what? Say it with you know your what? chest. I will go. We're missing Nick Chubb. Wow. No, I just want to kind of dissuade your argument there because you said in three years, Emmitt Smith ran for 4,000 yards. Okay. No, right at 4,000, not no. at four. No, right I, I think he was right. I think he did hit four. I actually have it up here. Uh, let's it's see. 3,928. 3, yeah, yeah, so he's right there. Nick Chubb, if you take away his sophomore year where he only played in six games, he had 747 yards that year. He still has 4,000 in three years. Okay. I he ran it. for fifteen hundred yards as a freshman and fourteen touchdowns. What did uh, what, what did uh, what, he did averaged, what, what did what did Emmitt Smith do as as a freshman? He averaged or Nick Chubb averaged six point three yards per carry throughout his entire career, including blowing up his knee and coming back and still leading his team to a national championship game. Listen, Emmitt Smith blew out both his ankles. He never Nick Chubb. The game. Nick Chubb. <laughs> Nick, Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb ran for more yards his freshman year than Emmitt Smith did. Listen, 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 listen. You, you can calm down with it because I nah. want to get to these other ones. Go. Because it's finna get controversial. Right, go. Right, here quick. we go. Heinz Ward or Percy Harvin? I'm going to tell you something right oh. now. You're going to say it together? You're going to say it together? One, have two, mercy. three. Percy Harvin. Lord have mercy. All right. They gotcha. both are these Swiss right. Army knives. Uh, <laughs> team. All right. Terrence Edwards or Jacquez Green? Listen, I love Terrence Edwards. He's the only 1,000-yard receiver. Well, only only, only got to have 1,000 yards for, um, you know, for Georgia. But... Jaquezzi, I'm telling you, people play. Ben, what years did Jaquez Green play at Florida? He played uh, 90, I want to say 90, 94 to 97. I want right. to say Quezzy was a 94, 97. Listen, listen, put some respect on Quezzy's name, man. The numbers don't always, I mean, one guy had better numbers because he played longer. Quezzy only mm, played three years. Mm. I'm going to go with Quezzy. One of these guys was the SEC's all-time leading receiver when he, he was, left. He was. One of these guys was the only, or is still the only guy in the history of his school to have a thousand receiving yards in a single season, I will say this: um, It's we, Terrence Edwards, y'all. Listen, listen, no, no. I will say this: um, This year, last year in 2020, two things happened. Uh, Devonta Smith broke the record uh, started by Chris Dorman. When they're talking about the triplets, when you're talking about Devonta Smith and those guys, you know, uh, and Wall and those guys, you know, what they compared them to that would be the triplets that had, that was there from '94 to '97. That would be Quezzy. That would be Ike. That would be Redale. <laughs> it's Jacquez. All right, here we go. Moving on, David Pollock. Or Alex Brown. I'm gonna tell y'all something right <laughs> now. I'm gonna tell y'all something right now. Love me some David Pollock. I know he's a three-time first-team All-American. <laughs> I get it. He's doing acrobatic. I'm gonna say this right now. David Pollock had 36 career sacks. 36. I'm gonna go with Alex Brown, who had for his career 33 career sacks. Now I will say this. The, the, the defending national champions in 1999 were the Tennessee Vols. Alex Brown had five sacks and a pick, and that's why, they, that's, that's why them boys got me. I love David Pollock. I played against both David Pollock and Alex Brown. You can add, tweet me, y'all Georgia fans, all you want. I'm going to go with Alex Brown. John Stitchcomb was on this show talking about getting inducted to the 2021 Florida Georgia Game Hall of Fame. I said, how? He said, I didn't have a lot of success. Why? Because I had to think about, oh, A.B., Alex Brown, number 13, <laughs> two-time first-team All-American. All right. I'm going to go with A.B. Kevin, what do I have in my right hand? I have a Phil Steele. A 2021 yeah, Phil, Phil Steele college football preview. This is the holy grail of college football magazines. Ben, I want you to place your right hand on the Phil Steele <laughs> magazine. Thank you. Ben, look me in my eyes. Come on. And tell me. That David Pollock isn't the greatest college defensive end 
of all time. David Pollock is the greatest college defensive end of all time. That doesn't make him better than Alex Brown. Now, about the now look at me. <laughs> was Alex Brown a three-time All-American? No, he will be a two-time. Did, okay, just put your hand back on. I'm, I'm, did he I'm, ever? Did he ever? Sack a quarterback in the end zone, ripping the ball out of his hands while doing a backflip, and catch the ball in the end zone for a touchdown. No, no, he, no, he did not. No, he did not do. I, I said David Pollock is that dude, but what I'm saying is, and Ben, what have you said about David Pollock about playing against him? I mean, he got on my nerves. I mean, he, yeah, he okay, he gets on my last nerve. No, no, so I, that I'm, makes him better in my book. Is David no, no, Pollock? No, no, whoa, 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 no, I'm, 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 t- I'm gonna tell y'all this about Christian right now. Everybody say Ben is always biased. You can't say nothing about David Pollock in front of Christian. I don't care what it is. If we say who's the better baker, there will be David no Pollock, disrespect. Hey, no. There's, there's no Have disrespect you seen that man in real life? His <laughs> jawline is ridiculous. <laughs> All right, we got time for we got. He wins on jawline. Champ Bailey or Lido or Lido Shepard. Listen, can, I, can I start this one? Can I start this one? Yeah. It's it it's Champ Bailey. And he's a, he's a better overall player. All the different positions that he played, what he was able to do, and then obviously you saw what he's able to do as a cornerback in the pros. But this is college only. In terms of like a true Sand- cornerback, chest. it doesn't get much better Lido. than Lido. Whoa, <laughs> like Lido. Yes, I really but it's Champ. Champ my- <laughs> <laughs> had to play everything. Lido, Lido, Lido uh, took some punts. Back speaking, of, well. speaking of Champ, remember when we saw Champ at the uh, Georgia Florida yeah, game? Yeah, saw Champ. He, he, was, he was sitting suited and booted, sitting up in the parking lot. Ben wouldn't even talk to him. I said, "Listen, over oh, there, looking like a salamander. I'm not finna go talk to him. I gotta go." <laughs> okay. Love Champ Bailey. Uh, despite all that, <laughs> we will come back and we will talk with Gerald Anderson, former Georgia defensive tackle. He's got. I mean, he obviously knows uh, what Jordan Davis and company do. We'll get his thoughts on that. This Georgia defense burn off on Saturday in Jacksonville. Joining us here on the program, two-time SEC champion defensive lineman out of Waycross, Georgia, former Georgia Bulldog Gerald Anderson joins us here on 3 and Out. Gerald, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you coming on. And I know uh, when you talk about Georgia and the different rivalries, sometimes it might depend on what part of the state you're from as to maybe it's Auburn, maybe it's Tennessee, maybe it's South Carolina, maybe it's Florida. As a as a young man from uh, from Waycross, Georgia, I mean, it had to be Florida, right? I mean, what does this game mean to you as a guy coming from South Georgia getting ready for this week? Oh, uh, Like they say, this is the largest cocktail party in the South, man, and this is uh, what it was always the big one. You always had your eye on the Florida game, being from Waycross, being a – about 30 minutes from the Florida state line. There was always a huge uh, uh, rivalry between uh, these two teams right here. Uh, this is the one that we always kept an eye on and make sure that we, we wanted to handle our business when it came out of this game. Gerald, you played on some uh, tremendous Georgia defenses, great defensive fronts. What do you see when you watch this unit, this front seven for Georgia, go out and dominate the way they are? The way they've been playing uh, through this season, they, they've been uh, doing what they're supposed to do. It all starts up front. Uh, the front seven has been uh, an old defense as a whole, but, you know, when you look at the front seven, they're pretty special. I mean, I think they check the box in a, in a lot of the categories uh, with size, speed, strength, and just the ability to, uh, to get it done. So uh, this is a pretty special unit, and uh, they, they've been doing what they're supposed to do this year, and it's been exciting to watch them. It's, it really has been. Gerald, Gerald, what make what makes this game just different? I mean, you talked about it, you know, being you know being from uh, South Georgia, being thirty minutes from the Florida State line. But I understand Georgia's coming in number one. I think Florida's coming in unranked. Georgia's ranked number two. You know, as far as like uh, against the run, Florida's offense ranked fourth running the football. But why don't why you can throw those things out the window when you have this type of matchup? 
when you have this type of matchup, you do you have to throw it out the window. I don't care if one team's undefeated, the other team have, hasn't won a ball game. The underdog is uh, could always be considered the winner in this game. This it's where you know the emotions come in play. The uh, uh, <clears throat> just everything in a whole, just with this game being that big of a rivalry, it's, it, you can't even look at you know what team might be better than the other because I've seen it go either way at any given time just because of this magnitude of a game. So uh, you you have to be focused. You have to know your assignments. You have to uh, execute on your assignments to be successful. And you can't just go off of a, well, we're a better team than them this year, so we're going to beat them. In this particular game, that's not going to happen. I mean, it's not about whose X's are better than whose O's. It's more about just who wants it more when it comes down to this game. Gerald Anderson joining us here on Three and Out. And, uh, Gerald, Georgia's got a guy, Jordan Davis, 6'6", 330 pounds, playing that defensive tackle spot uh, there like you do. What do you see when you watch him specifically play that defensive tackle spot that just makes him so uh, un- un- unblockable, I guess? Uh, just like, like I said about checking the box, when you talk about size, strength, and speed, you know, this kid, man, he's – He's got it all. I mean, he, in my opinion, he probably should be the first defensive lineman taken in the draft. Uh, when you look at what he can do, he plays with great leverage. He plays with a motor, uh, and then he, he like he checks that box. He can he can control the gap, and he can run sideline to sideline. I mean, this kid, I, I watch you know just closely some of the things he does, man, and you know it's amazing the, of the plays that I've seen him run down on the sideline with his size. I mean, you, it, that, that's stuff that you just can't coach. I mean, those are just uh, prototypical uh, abilities that this kid has that that is going to take him a long way. So when you see a kid like that, and then he's having fun doing it, you know, he, you know, we talk about some of the things he's doing off the field. I mean, I, I follow up on some of the stuff he does where it's him and his mother, and he loves her to death. That's like they're like best friends. I think I read an article like that one time about the kid and. It just amazes me, you know, the passion that he has where it translates from off the field to on the field, and you can just tell it's the same passion. So it, it's it's special to watch a kid like that play, and I'm glad we got him on our side. Gerald, Georgia has a unique quarterback situation where you have a couple of very talented guys, JT Daniels, Stetson Bennett. Daniels, of course, been dealing with an injury. Stetson Bennett's done a really nice job. Uh, if both guys are healthy, how how would you handle that situation there in Athens? Uh, it, it's kind of difficult to handle. I think I, I mean, I kind of understand some ways in the coach. I mean, you go with the hot hand. Uh, Daniels has kind of been out a couple of games, and Bennett's actually, you know, been coming in and has been in the last few games, and he's he's done a tremendous job for us. Um, he's the hot hand right now, I think, <clears throat> and I think you know, it's in my opinion, it would be his position to lose. Um, I know he's probably got a chip on his shoulder because, you know, same kind of deal was going on last year with him, and he's got the job. And then this particular game right here, he didn't have a great game. Um, so I'm sure he, he, he has circled that, uh, this date on his calendar um, right now. I know he's probably thrilled to be in this position. And him being from Blackshear, Georgia as well, that's right down the road from Waycross, I'm sure this game is a game that he, he knows that he has to perform in. It's just – a high-quality game for him. So, um, it, to manage that, that situation, I mean, I, I love JT Daniels and I love Stetson Bennett, but, you know, I think at this point Stetson has the hot hand. We have the momentum. You kind of go go along with that until 
uh, something else changes, then you you have to make a change on the fly. I mean, that's what those guys get paid to do. Gerald, so many storylines going into this game from the defense, uh, you know, stopping the run to the Florida's office trying to run the football quarterback situations on both sides of the ball. But you were a guy that, you know, uh, did what you did in the trenches. Talk talk about what it's like being in the trenches and understanding that, look, I know it's all about the skill position guys. I know it's all about the guys that throw the football and score touchdowns. But, we, you know, I play this ugly side of football, you know, down in the trenches with them guards and them tackles. You know, everything <laughs> – we always said everything's one up front. I don't, I don't care what kind of skill guys you got, what kind of quarterback, what kind of receivers, DBs, whatever. If you don't have a front line on both or both sides of the ball, uh, your team's not going to be that successful. So uh, we set the tone. I'm, I'm, I'm being biased by saying, you know, playing in the trenches that we're going to set the tone uh, for the game and for how it's going to go on both sides of the ball, whether it's offensively or defensively. And, that's where the success comes from. If you got an offensive line that's getting pushed around by the defensive line, uh, that 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 defense that defense is going to be pretty successful, and that that opposite team is going to probably struggle. And it goes the the other way around. If you got an offensive line that's pushing the defense around, uh, defensive linemen around, and they're they're gashing people on the ground, and the things are opening up for the passing for the passing game because the run game is so successful then it's going to go that way where that team's going to be more successful. But, you know, the, the front the front seven on the defense or the front four on the defense, I think, and, you, and then you take the front five to six on offense, they set the tone for the game. They, they are the cornerstone for a team's success. So the trenches is where you have to really be successful at. You have to be gap sound, technique sound, and, um, and then the chips will fall as they may. Gerald Anderson joining us here on Three and Out. And, Gerald, this game's so unique in that, obviously, it's 50-50 fans. And uh, I know a lot of times you hear players say, well, we'll just take the fans out of it and play our game, or we'll get the home crowd into it, and we'll have a big momentum swing. It seems like you don't get a lot of those big momentum swings, or they don't last for long because you can't really turn that crowd one way or another. Uh, you're exactly right. I mean, when you walk into, you know, that stadium, you can see where exactly where half of it's blue and half of it's red. It, it's actually split right down the half. And if you take a aerial view of it, it it's legitly split right down the half. And it's it's kind of scary. So you don't have that uh, that 12th man on the field, as we would say, when you have the crowd involved in it because you, you got – but you got to kind of cancel that noise out and just play ball. And that's just the key to it. So um, it's – you know, both teams have, you know, the equal amount of fans that's rooting and cheering for them. You can't, you know, have that home field advantage as people may use or take. So you just got to basically cancel it out and play ball. That That's just kind of how I always approached it and I always took it. <laughs> and, Gerald, finally, I mean, <clears throat> you know, we were blessed enough to be a part of this game. We were blessed enough to be the reason why people playing their entire year around one game in Jacksonville, whether you're on the Florida side or the Georgia side, whether you love them or hate them, went against them, cheered for them. What is it like knowing that when you look back on this thing, you were celebrated forever because you was what people toasted to and, you you know, you were what people look forward to? Uh, that's, that's a great feeling. I mean, it's like you said, this game was always – and I can't speak for how it was at the University of Florida, but at the University of Georgia this week was always fall break. Fall break was always scheduled around the Georgia-Florida game. Why was that? I mean, you can kind of tell. I mean, you got if you go down to Jacksonville on, on probably Monday or Tuesday uh, going into the game, it's already probably RVs parked out there. It's always uh, it, it's already you know fans already in place. 
you can't get a definitely can't get a hotel in sight. It's just it's a it's a big deal in uh, South Georgia, North Florida area. So um, being celebrated for that to go back to your question, it's it, it's a it's a great honor to say that I played in this game. And it's a great honor to say I played four years. I played this game four years now. My record against Florida is not great, but you know I've had a lot of great moments, a lot of great times in this game, and it's you know it's been always been a strong battle, no matter what. Um, so it's always been great to be a part of it, and it's great to go down in you know history and say that I've been a part of of this uh, long tradition of uh, playing this Georgia Florida game. Gerald Anderson, our guest here on Three and Out. Gerald, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Thank you. We've got more to come here on 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you along here on this Wednesday. Game 2 coming up. 7 o'clock with a pregame. First pitch just after 8 o'clock. Again, Max Freed for the Braves. Uh, BJ, pressure tonight to try to go 2-0 and or is it just go out and play and you're, you're guaranteed, obviously, a split this go-round in Houston? Oh, man, I, I think you just have fun. Ben said it. All of the pressure is on the Astros. All of the pressure. And you have a, you know, a pitcher that you want in this spotlight. You have a lineup where everybody in the order got a hit last night. Uh, all of the pressure is on Houston. 1-1 is a win. I mean, I want to say that if you leave Houston 1-1, that's a win. If you leave with two wins, are you kidding me? That's a dream. A-T-A-T-A-T-A-T. Big shout-out to Kevin Thomas today. Going in the vault, pulling out the fresh A-Town down, as you can see. BJ, you know what you got to do. If you come up in here tomorrow with the Jacksonville Jaguars hat, I'm going to come up in here with the baby pie to slap the hell out you. You better come up in here with the A-Town down. Braves, do what you've been doing. It's been working this point. I trust him. Bravo. Yeah, I think you go out and play uh, play loose tonight to get Eddie Rosario up in the leadoff spot. Jorge Soler uh, back down in the lineup a little bit. But Max Freed takes the mound tonight. And we'll see you tomorrow here on the show. We'll be broadcasting live from uh, Jekyll. If the Braves are 2-0 or 1-1, headed back to Atlanta on Friday night. Hopefully, we're talking 2-0, but we'll have full coverage for you coming up starting at 7 o'clock. And we will see you tomorrow here on 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network.